You're listening to The Breakthrough Pod, the show dedicated to help you learn, grow, and become the best version of yourself. We share inspirational stories, strategies to overcome failure, and life lessons from truly amazing people. Let's get started with your host and founder of Student Breakthrough, Sam Moynet. Hello and welcome to episode 26 of The Breakthrough Pod with me, your host, Sam Moynet. And in this episode, I'm joined by Jordan Yates. Jordan is a mental health advocate and a student coach at the Northampton Saints Foundation. And this episode is one of the most honest, open, real, raw conversations I've ever had with anyone. And actually in this episode, Jordan inspired me to open up and, and be vulnerable myself, which was was super inspiring. And if, if you want some tips to you know develop resilient mental health, if you want some strategies to, to overcome setbacks, and if you just want to listen to to two guys actually have a, a real meaningful chat, then this episode is for you. Um, Jordan, I'm just so grateful to you and thank you so, so much. So Breakthrough Family, sit back and listen to episode 26 of The Breakthrough Pod. Jordan Yates, welcome to the Breakthrough Pod. How you going, man? Thank you so much for uh, having me here. Like, I'm so grateful, like really grateful. Oh, mate, I'm grateful as well. Me and Jordan uh, connected on Instagram a little while ago, and after looking at his page and all the great stuff he does um, as a mental health kind of advocate, um, helping people get support, I had to get you on, man. So if you could just share with the listeners, yeah, what are you up to day to day and a bit about your Instagram page? That'd be really cool. Yeah, man. So first up, um, my job is I'm a student mentor with Northampton Saints Foundation, something that I started doing literally three, four days ago. Um, I'm enjoying it so much so far. Like it's absolutely amazing. Um, I spent a lot of time working with children over the years from the age of about 18. So up until now, like I'm 28, took a few years out, but um, yeah, I'm back ready to kind of jump right into it really and actually help benefit people's lives um and then yeah what i do outside of that is so we never really know what to call ourselves when it comes to instagram stuff so advocates kind of the right word um essentially what i do is i share my story on instagram facebook and youtube to help benefit others um i noticed when i was kind of first became became really ill the only route to get support was through the doctors um and even the support that you could get via the NHS, it was so difficult, not because of the NHS, just because of the, the unbelievable demand. You know, I was getting meetings once every two months. And in that period of time, my, you know, my mood would always fluctuate so much. So, I mean, I'm noticing that I had to kind of look after myself quite a lot. And then as time kind of went on, I realized that, you know, from my experience, I could teach quite a lot to other people. So you know, using, using Instagram and, and Facebook as that platform, I started to do so. Um, did that last, I think it was last year, starting in, I think June 2019 was the first time I kind of started posting and was fully open with it. And yeah, since then, it's been like a gentle little, little growth thing and started YouTube up the end of the month for me, which was like a, that was a huge obstacle because actually videoing myself talk, st- sitting in front of a camera, like as you know, it's like one of the most vulnerable places you can be is sitting in a room of yourself videoing. Like, it's not like you've got someone to be like, Oh yeah, repeat, do that, do that again or go through this. You're just staring at yourself in the camera and that's, yeah, that's tough. So I was really pleased when I did that. Jordan, thank you so much for sharing. So where did this like passion to help others, you know, begin? Was it, was it a school or was it a later date for you? Um, I noticed when I was younger, so probably 16, 17, 18, I, I started, that's when I kind of started rugby coaching, just voluntary, when I got to university, I started doing it as well because that was what my course was in. It was um, sport management, rugby studies, and then with coaching on the side. And I noticed I had like a bit of a knack for it. Like that was something that I was good at. And um, I then went to work. I worked with an abroad looking after children. And then what I always found with the types of jobs I was doing, so whether it was, you know, coaching kids um, like for a club or with the, the different companies or even working abroad, although I was looking after them, it was for the benefit of somebody money-wise. Um, I remember having a session literally, I think two, three years ago, and that was with Northampton Saints Foundation. And I remember just going in just for one day and just thinking like, this is this is what I want to do. 
Yeah, so I was really fortunate and I felt that I had, because of my privilege, I needed to share that with others. And that because some people just aren't as fortunate as I am or as fortunate as many people, but then just not getting the support. So if I can, you know, giving up just a few hours of my day doing something on Instagram, writing something out, and one person reads that and, you know, doesn't go and do something that's, you know, is kind of a life-changing thing for them, you know, with regards to their mental health, then, you know, that's that's a good, that's good. And I think that's where it, it, it then spiraled into that. But obviously, first off, it just came from I was just good at coaching. I just wasn't too bad at speaking in front of people, which is really weird thing to say when you've got anxiety disorder. I remember telling like my boss ages ago, like a different boss. Oh, yeah, I've got anxiety disorder, too. And she was like, what? Like, how could you possibly have that? Like, you're so confident and you don't mind speaking to people. And, and that's the, the strange thing is it because it, of that illness, it affects us all in such different ways. Whereas for me, it doesn't affect me in the sense that I can, you know, I wouldn't get anxious to like speaking to you today. I was just excited. I would never get apprehensive or nervous to do that. Whereas I would get affected in a different way. And that's, you know, that's the, that's kind of the difficult, I'm going way off. No, it's awesome, man. I just want to jump back into firstly, the fact that, you know, lots of people are brought into certain privileges and a privilege, mm-hmm. let's be honest, in this day and age could even be like having a supportive family, like you mentioned and going to some white schools. Yeah. My question to you is what's driving that? Because I know lots of people who have got many privileges and don't contribute, don't give back and just kind of not selfish, but they focus on themselves, let's say, mm. and not not helping others, especially, you know, children, young people, which as you know, is so, so, so important. So let's just unpack that a little bit. What's actually driving you to do that? Do you think? Um, so the pri- that's such a good question, man. That's like, that's literally the best question anyone's ever asked me, 100%. Um because privilege is something that like gets kind of thrown about a lot of the minute and people don't kind of understand it. Um, I'll talk very briefly about my family background to kind of help out because that'll be where the confusion comes with privilege. Privilege doesn't necessarily mean that you've come from thousands and thousands of pounds. You've gone to the best schools in the country and you've gone to the best universities. That of course is a privilege, but that does not the, you know, that is not the objective of privilege. Privilege can mean many different things. Um, but in terms of in terms of that, it was just I didn't want people to kind of go through what I went through, especially as young lads. So I when I found out I had depression, I was about 24. And that was the first time I kind of had I felt depression ever come over me. But then I went to the doctor and got my diagnosis of anxiety disorder. And I started to learn more about it. That was something that I had been with me since I was probably 13, 14, 15. You know, I had a painfully low self-esteem and I still get affected now by that low self-esteem. It's something that I've had to really kind of, it's one of my biggest demons really is that low self-esteem. It affects the way I behave and I've had to really kind of, I'm going to have to really work hard on that even now. But that was something throughout school. I remember just being so nervous and anxious and I needed to be, you know, talk people I wanted to be friends with everyone I wanted people to laugh at me I wanted to be the best at rugby I wanted to be the I had to be the best at things but I just could it was so it just all got it was all just got so much and I remember just feeling so anxious about things but instead of working hard at these things I would just kind of not bother so I'll give you the best example is of of rugby you know I really wanted to be the best at rugby ever because you know but same by the way i thought i was going to play for england until i was about 15 but yeah <laughs> not england for me i'm i'm welsh so but in you know in wales being a welsh rugby player is the dream for everyone that you know boy or girl yeah but, you know and that's just i just didn't want other young boys i'd see a lot of young lads i'd be coaching just thinking i hope you're not going through what i'm going through and if you are then i hope what i can say to you is gonna is gonna help and is gonna resonate with you that you're gonna and I think that's something that so many of like the advocates that I talk to and I do things with, because it's difficult with Instagram not to let your ego take over. But there's a because one guy I speak to a lot called Connor and he just he suffers from an eating disorder and he felt like he was the only man who suffered from it. And he just doesn't want people to go through the same thing as he had to go through. And that's the same for me. That's where I need to use the privilege of the amount of resources that I've got to be able to get certain types of um you know education or certain types of therapy and to pass that into somebody else that doesn't have that opportunity i think 
I think if everybody could adopt that kind of mindset, and I think that's whether or not it's um, in mental health, whether it's environmentally, whether it's educationally, it's it's something that we I think we all really need to take forward. The whole idea of entitlement and privilege pops up so much. It's like the I'm entitled to do something, so I'm going to do it. So for me, it was like, well, I'm privileged enough to be able to do something, so I'm going to avoid not if that makes sense. Yeah, I get that. I think for uh, for me, and you'll probably agree with this, the only way to gain fulfillment in our lives is contribution. Yeah. And it's helping and serving others, especially, unfortunately, we all have to go through some pain hmm. to then have the awareness to then go through our therapies or whatever, or, or, or learning experiences that then we can educate other people. So there is the pain, but once you're sort of on the path to a quote unquote recovery, or you've learned hmm. some new skills, then passing that on is like, oh, that's, that's gold, man. That's like literally contributing to, to, to the world around you and, and giving back. Yeah. Amazing stuff. What you mentioned, like, I, I, you know, I was depressed at 13 looking back and reflecting on it and my, you know, what brought that on and what kind of support did you receive back then? I know we're the same age, you know, late twenties. Mm. And when I was at, when we, when I, well, we were at school, there wasn't really much support then. Um, mm. So yes, just reflect on that. Back yeah. I mean, so obviously, yeah, learning what I knew about, anxiety now i mean depression when we were younger and i don't know if you'll you'll feel the same but depression was something that was reserved for certain types of people it was i mean the only education we kind of had on asylums was arkham asylum from batman and you saw the types of people that went to arkham asylum like you know the joker the penguin that sort of thing and i suppose if you look at that as a youngster and you go and then you hear about these asylums you're like oh my god like that's where people that are depressed go and you think if you feel even remotely depressed, you're thinking, oh, my God, like, am I going to have to go to an asylum? That's really scary. Like, it's a really scary thing. Um, but in terms of anxiety disorder and when it, oh, learning that I had that as a youngster, but I learned it when I was older. So I, whilst being a youngster, but I didn't know about anxiety disorder. So I had all these feelings inside of me of feeling, you know, and we're not just talking about nerves for exams. We're talking about just general nerves for, you know, engaging with people and talking to people and having this ridiculous need to always want to be the center of attention and to be laughed at and to be liked, you know, you can feel your heart beating in your chest as a 15, 14, 15 year old, and you have no experience of it. You just think, well, this is normal. Everyone goes through this and you just have, you just block it out. I think someone saying to me and, you know, if I'd heard about anxiety disorder when I was a youngster, I may well have reached out and said, I think I might be struggling with something at this, you know, I get these feelings when I, you know, engage with people and those that know me and that know me since I was young will have recognized me as someone that's so confident and constantly happy and bouncy. But a lot of the time that was like, not necessarily an act, but it was almost like a cover up in the, on the inside. I was just like, Oh my God, Oh my God. Like please, someone like me, someone. And that, that for me striped like, came from the low self-esteem which we're not entirely sure where has come from and that once again that's the toughest bit with anxiety disorder is you can have you can feel anxious towards something and you've got no idea where it comes from so yeah um but that's yeah that's i think just from school and just someone just coming in and being like this is what it is this is where it's you know for especially for depression like the way i was treated for depression was I had some, you know, some counselling. I didn't have to go to an asylum. I didn't have to be hospitalised. But the only education I had was that you would have to be hospitalised. Do you ever remember watching Skins back in the day? And yeah. Effie got unwell and she had to, she got to be put in a hospital. And there was the Cassie the year before and she had an eating disorder. And that was the only time we ever, it really got brushed over that these things existed. Up until that, all these words like depression, anxiety disorder, bipolar disorder were reserved for, you know, one percentage of people. And in terms of, you know, the mental health community, that's the slightly smaller percentage of the people. I so, yeah. think looking back, like, I don't even think I heard the word anxiety mm. or depression or bipolar or definitely mental health, you know, yeah. when I was at school. And I was at school, I finished high school, secondary school, whatever, in uh, 2009. Mm. Um, and actually looking back now, it'd be great to get your take on this, how far things have come in, let's be honest, in a very short space of time in, let's say, 10 years, 10, 11 years. Because what support, if you were like this now, it, say you were back at school now, 
what would be different do you think for yourself I think more so the if whether or not I was getting any education at school so if you get rid of that one because I don't know how school works anymore I don't get to spend a great deal of time going into the schools so you put that to one side just knowing that I've got the resources of like Instagram and Facebook Twitter we're going to leave out because Twitter just can be an absolute mess sometimes (laughs) Um, I don't use it myself Um, but having those resources of being you know going online knowing that you can talk to people. I've been doing a few bits with an app called Tally and they do like a weekly call where they'll discuss certain topics around mental health. And it's a free app. You know, that's, you know, if even if you like the school thing's gone, you still have that weekly. So you can check in and just gain some, gain some knowledge and gain some help from someone that, you know, I think that's an amazing thing. So I'd like to think that the school stuff has got better. From what I hear, there is more, emphasis being put on it um awesome. you know i think a weekly if not yeah a weekly sessions on mental health are needed in the same way as they put the emphasis on pe and physical health it needs to be treated in the same way yeah i totally appreciate that and i i obviously 100 agree with uh, that the support needs to be changed my, my big vision is to revolutionize emotional support so way more positive practical action orientated kind of support uh, mm. for young people so finishing university and obviously you said you got diagnosed with was it anxiety disorder mm-hmm. and depression uh, yeah. and depression, right? So when you were 24, so what was, what happened leading up to, to that diagnosis and following on from that, how did you react to the diagnosis? Yeah. So, so university I think was, so when I hit 18, so I had all these anxious feelings up until 18. And then I think I don't know if you were the same as me, but kind of, I lived in a small town. So university was going to be a massive escape to get away and just kind of like start afresh. And I think that's why so many people from, from my age group just wanted to leave. They just wanted to get out of here and just, you know, where I live isn't terrible, but it's just, it's certainly not Nottingham or Manchester or Liverpool or all these big places that we hear about. Um, So yeah, anyway, went to university and sadly for me, the self-esteem was kind of, the low self-esteem was taken with me. So once again, I was continually trying to impress people and wanted to be laughed at. And for me, that wasn't always like necessarily the most positive thing. So I would then be surrounded by some people that were quite negative people. They weren't nice. Um, and I would, you know, re- <laughs> me now, I would have just been like, I'm not going to spend any time with them because I don't like them. But because of when I was younger, you know, these people would pick on me and I'd just think, oh, well, if I make them laugh, then, you know, eventually we'll be friends. And that's something I had with me, you know, 18, 19, 20, those sorts of years where, you know, my brain is still developing. My whole psyche is still developing and my self-esteem was still developing. And to have those hits of being, being picked on and being, you know, made fun of and stuff like that, it's, you know, it's not nice. Once again, I just, I just still try to fit in. I wanted to be the best at things. I wanted to be laughed at. So I couldn't just ignore it and go and spend time with other people. So through that, I think it developed even more. So it, you know, made me probably more anxious. And then, you know, when I came to university, um, I didn't do the best at university. I'm not the most like academic person or I wasn't back then. Once again, the more pressure built on. So we're talking more stress, you know, more chances to be anxious. And I just, I remember, you know, being at university and wanting to do so well and wanting to get a job. And then when you leave at 21, that pressure then hits you of, because this, you know, the world can be tough. And back then it probably wasn't as tough as it is now, but you then leave university and you've got the pressure of kind of balancing all this social life and then trying to play rugby and then wanting to get a job. And it just... It just, I think it, I managed to really stop myself from having a bit of a breakdown back then because I just masked my emotions. Masked. It's really tough. Like we talk about not having support. I think, I don't know what it's like now, but mm. when I left as well, near the same time as you left uni in 2012, it was, there was no sort of, uh, I know lots of people were, some people were prepped and they had their jobs lined up. Uh, I, for, for my story, I, I unfortunately, Failed to get in the British Army a month before because I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Mm. So I was kind of set on this sort. So I had a pl- pl- path, but then my, my plan and path got ripped up. But I think it is a tough time because you've had these three years. And let's be honest, you have gained some life experience, but it's sort of like a fake life experience in lots of ways. And then in some ways, it's like starting again. 
as you leave. And I think lots of people really struggle with that. And, you know, higher education, I don't know what it's like now, but back then I would say they didn't do the best job of, but then it's not their, it's not their, it's not their, it's not their job to do that, I guess, necessarily. Mm. Um, but I know what you went through in, in to an extent in terms of, oh shit, like uni's over. What do I do? <laughs> What's next? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think, I think, well, so we're from like, yeah, similar educational generation. And I think you probably remember back then when you were at sixth form or college, there was this, it was like, you need to go to university. It's like, how are you going to get a job unless you go to university? And I'm thinking, well, I want to be someone. Of course I do. I better get to university. They don't then mention the fact that when it's all over, yes, you're, you're going to need to get a job pretty you know, straight away because you know, you want to pay off your student loan and you're thinking, oh, I'll, well, and you go, oh, I need to get to university. What do you want to do? I don't know. I'm just going to, let's just go to university. Oh, I quite like sport. I'll go and do that because, you know, oh, I quite like music and oh, I quite like physics. I don't know. So you, you rush yourself into university into making decisions of a life that you're going to do, you know, working for another 45 years, you make the decision right there, right then as an 18 year old, this is what I want to do. And you know, and then when you then finally do the three years and then, you know, jobs start, you have to sit, start thinking about jobs and they go, well, no, there's, there's no jobs, mate. Like you, and you're like, oh, okay. And even if you did get a job, you're getting paid 13 grand a year as a, you know, as an intern I'm thinking, and you're just like, how am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do? Like, how are you supposed to do that? Um, so it was the, once again, the pressure was so, it was immensely tough to leave university with, you know, a pretty average degree. I was very, very fortunate that I had one particular lecturer called Hugh Mannerins. Um, so if Hugh, you do listen to this, you taught me a very valuable lesson of how to network. And it was that once, you know, how to present yourself in front of people, how to go to meetings, how to go to different, you know, events and meet people when it comes to jobs. And, you know, that was something that I don't know if any other universities have it is that, employability bit you know i went to you know i went to university some people that intelligence wise and intellect they were brilliant but you know they talking in front of people was just you know going up to meet someone you know was just like it would have been so scary and no doubt like it, it's tough um but yeah for me leaving university with that i had to kind of i didn't want to be thought of as i didn't want people to know i was struggling so i just i kind of just ran and went went abroad started working in austria for like a season air company getting paid 300 pound a month all expenses paid for and hadn't just started to have a great time and once again just blocked out those emotions of feeling painfully anxious for what was going to come in the future um so wh- how did that lead to i love what you said there about blocking it away and mm-hmm. i've got a fair few friends and i guess me included um i went through my first proper looking back you know about of you know it wasn't anxiety disorder obviously we all experience anxiety now and again but a significant challenge in my life when i was 24 and i had lots of friends at the moment who are late 20s who are going through their own stuff as well and do you think i've got this thing where we're always told as kids you know to be strong to to not show emotion and to you know almost block it out and i think lots of people block it out with work they might block it out maybe even worse stuff with, with alcohol or drugs or whatever. And then maybe late twenties, the, the chickens come home to roost as it were, were and you yeah. finally got to deal with this stuff. What was your take on that? Yeah, no, that was, that was completely true of my life as well. So yeah, left university. Then I went abroad for a bit. So I spent three years abroad and then sadly for me, my time abroad was, was really marred. And that's kind of like where the difficult conversations come along and that really kind of significantly impacted the way I am. Um, sadly for me, and it's one of those things, I hate to sound like I'm just that guy that has these things happened. But so I went, you know, went to Austria. Um, I met someone and we kind of got together. Um, and then so first, you know, a few months is great. And then after that, it just kind of like, it just kind of escalated into this quite abusive relationship onto me. Um and I suffered some domestic violence from that um, with all the things that I had going on at the time anyway, with my own mental health, that just kind of tipped me over the edge. I think someone with low self-esteem yeah. covering up meets someone who's 
effectively picking on them or being, I don't know what it, if you go on against the D, so you can, but you don't have to. But obviously layering that, it's kind of like stacking yeah. negativity on top of each other, I guess. It is, yeah. And it just like, it's such a long conversation of how it kind of, how it affected me. Um, but yeah, you think you've got, so let's start, you know, low self-esteem throughout school wasn't too bad, but you know, it was there. You get to university, the pressure comes in of you know having to make something of yourself once again get picked on a little bit you then go to the next step of not gaining what you wanted and your life plan doesn't go quite go to plan then the next step is you're stressed because you haven't got a job and then you've got this on top of it and it just makes you it just kind of almost made me implode really and I remember just being in this relationship that I felt like I couldn't get out of for whatever reason and you know being and suffering that um because it, it was so tough and i remember just one day just being like okay i think i think i might be depressed this is this is getting rough now like this is really bad um just the listeners how do you i know it affects everyone in different ways but how do you how did you have the awareness to to realize that and what 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 was going on was it really just consistent low mood for weeks on end was it what was it crying for no reason was probably the one being sat there and just feeling really down like all the time and it just you know this the curiosity and just want to throw a warning out to people you know a trigger warnings people in the next bit is just feeling suicidal really um you know thinking about how it was going to happen when it was going to happen what I was going to do and you know it was more so and that I think I remember just being like, oh, okay, that's this is a problem now. This is not just me being in a bad mood. This is this is an issue. Um, and we need to we need to deal with it. Now, when I talk about my depression, I always consider my depression to be a situational depression. So there's a few different types. And when people say about situational depression, they mean that where I am right now just doesn't make me that happy. So I get quite depressed about it. So I just kind of thought if I'm out of this situation that I'm in now, if I break up with my girlfriend, if I go back to England, if I get myself a good job and I'll get a car, then I won't be depressed anymore. I did all of those things and I was still depressed. So, and, and that was, yeah. And so I think I didn't even, even though I knew I had depression, I didn't go and speak to anyone about it because I just figured once I've done all these different things, to sort my situation out, I'll feel better. Well, I, you know, I got myself sorted and, you know, it, it didn't happen. Yeah, it links to, I just had some insight from what you were saying there about that happiness or I guess ease or contentment has to come from the inside out, not the outside in. Mm. And in terms of, you know, you see those people that, I know I always, always PT seems to be after the 10K a month, 10K a month, 10K a month, they'll be happy. I had this experience when I was a teacher and I was in a room full of PTs and they're all miserable and they all had loads of money, loads of cars. Mm. And like that happiness, although changing your situation, buying something is like a short-term fix. Ultimately it's not going to, not going to stop what's really going on inside. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, that was it. I think I just saw different people around me and that's when that was the, I mean, that was when I kind of, another thing I completely forgot to mention actually on top of, my experiences I was having whilst I was abroad, um, I would look at people on Instagram and see my friends thinking, well, they're starting to buy houses because we were like 23, 24. And like a few people, when they leave university, if they've got a job straight away, they're probably saving for a house. I was having friends get married. They were starting to have children and they started to, you know, go all these wicked places. And I was just like, well, I'm just kind of sat in my bedroom here on my own. And I'm, you know, I'm depressed that just added to it even more. And the comparison then was there. Mm. And I felt like, well, I need to kind of get my life together now. I need to get it sorted. I need to go home and start, you know, saving up for all these things. And then, you know, I got myself a relatively good job. Um, and then I bought myself a cool car. Um, so this might like my first brand new car. So say I beat the FR, it was lush. But one thing, <laughs> I just remember sitting in the car and thinking, and this is something that I notice is that doesn't matter what your car looks like, you ain't going to see it from the inside of it. You know, your car might, you might have a Ferrari on the outside, but you can't see what it looks like whilst you're sat behind the wheel 
you know, trying to, you're trying to, don't get me wrong, a Ferrari's, a, that's a really bad example because Ferrari's. No, I love it. I'm trying to link it to how we feel inside mm. in comparing ourselves. Is there, is there an, a, a link there for that metaphor? For yeah, that? I think so. It's just, you know, it doesn't, it's like that old thing. It's like, it doesn't matter what watch you've got, a Rolex and a Casio still tell the same time and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and I just remember, and that was, I just remember having, you know, I thought if I get all these different things, if I could get myself a different girlfriend, you know, break up with the old girlfriend, because the reason I was so unhappy was because of this girlfriend. And the, the reason I wasn't so happy before was because I had, a, had other horrible girlfriends. If I get, <laughs> I'll get myself a good one, then I'll feel fine. I basically put all my self-worth into other people and how other people felt, felt about me, put all my validation into what people thought about me and how people thought about me, my car or my shoes or, you know, the clothing I wore. And I just basically made it all about other people's feelings towards me, which then just kind of made it slip even more. Mate, uh, it's like, it's crazy how it's the same pattern, just just different sort of stuff mm. throughout your life. Like at school, obviously being, I guess, being like the class clown, making people laugh. Mm. And from what you've touched shared so far, that when you're in your, you know, your mid-20s, early-20s, that it was almost again, trying to show off in a way of I've got, I've got the car, I've got the clothes, I've got the shoes. It's like, it's the, it's the same behavior, I guess, all the way through. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I just wasn't conscious of it. Um, and then I remember, so we're now at, let's say, I think we're in 2016, coming into 2017. And I remember, so throughout this time, when I was, when I was really depressed, I used to drink so much, man. Like I drank so much beer. Can you can you share how much? What is a lot? Oh, I drank every night whilst I was working at. Whilst I was working in Austria when I first started feeling depressed, I drank every night easily, probably at least one beer. I worked on a bar which didn't help, so I had like full <laughs> range of access to as much beer as I kind of wanted, and I took, you know, I took the advantage of that. And then, you know, when I then decided to come home. In, with the intention of getting help because of that situational depression I talked about earlier, I got rid of my girlfriend who was, you know, was abusive towards me. Um, I thought, here we are, we're on, we're on the up now. I'll go out and have a great time with all my friends. It'd be brilliant. Alcohol is one of the biggest depressants going. Like if you feel depressed on the inside anyway, going out is just going to make you feel, going out to get into drinking is going to make you feel worse because of the different, you know, toxins that you've got in beers. That's not to say if you, you know, if you are someone that doesn't get affected by it, then that's cool. But if you're someone that gets depressed or gets anxious, consider how much booze you, you drink. Because, yeah, yeah, I remember drinking loads. I had that recently. I want to be really vulnerable. You're being like, this is one of the most vulnerable episodes I've ever had. And I think it's actually probably the most like real and honest. So just want to say thank you. So this is what's great, by the way, when people are honest and open and real and vulnerable, it's like, oh, well, I'm going to actually share a little bit about my vulnerability here as well. The fact that I've been, the last couple of months have been really, really rough for me personally, moving to a new city, business is all up in the air a little bit. And I was feeling super, super like anxious for the first time, like shortness of breath, literally frozen to the spot. Couldn't really do anything. I never felt like this way. Mm. <laughs> I go to London, have a mad weekend, right? And then on the Sunday when I come back, I literally just, I'm in bed and I had my first ever panic attack. And I was, I was like in a world of hurt. And I've, and again, like we talk about the layers, which is really interesting, like feeling really low and then adding something on that you think is going to be a short-term fix, but then it's a long-term like a mess right um so yeah that's just me being honest and open and, and and real with you as well um mate good for you on that though like just to be like honest with it because even like talking you talking about it now you'll feel so much better about it and just even if people like that know you didn't know that this was how you felt at least they do now and they'll you know kind of be able to check in and you'll have that self-recognition i did a i did a, wrote a blog ages ago called it's my seven steps and it's kind of what I do to kind of combat depression. And the first bit, like every single problem is the first bit is accepting it. Have I got something wrong with me? Yes, I have. That is like a grounding within yourself. It's like putting your feet firmly on the floor. Okay. I've got something up. The next step, the the next step after that is, is always upwards. It's always, what can I do to help myself um, from that? Mm. But no, like fair play for you to, because it, it is tough. I think the pressure on like people, you know, men, women, you know, is it's just so immensely tough to hunt. And I think from your, if you go through your Instagram, like most of your photos is you 
great big beaming smile looks like absolutely loving life but if the the picture on the out the behind that is that actually you're finding things quite tough it's it, you know it's it can be quite difficult because you have try to try and do i like you i try and be quite real and there's a fine line isn't it because i work in you know technically helping people with mental health with confidence with positivity it's a fine line between sharing so much but also you know letting people in i think i do a very good job compared to lots of people in my industry and i guess our industry of, of telling it how it is and it's not always you know sunshine and rainbows and unicorns it's like it's tough sometimes it's tough to it's tough to be like an adult in 2020 by the way i'm just going to put it out there it's tough to know what the right thing to do we've got all these comparisons but letting people in is is so important and it's you know this is why this conversation is so great because it's it's real. Like we're not holding back here, you know. We're really not, and uh, it's absolutely you know privilege to to chat to you about this. Oh, I want to go back to you though, my friend. Go on. Um, so let's go back to the drinking. So you come back, you're drinking, 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 drinking. It's adding yeah. to sort of uh, cluttered mind, this noisy mind, this depressed mind. Yeah. Um, what's the next part of this story? So the next bit is like kind of I remember, and once again, we're gonna throw another just a bit of a trigger warning. Um, might be a you know, big trigger warning. So if you do, you're quite sensitive, then just maybe fast forward a little bit. But um, I remember like going on a night out and um, I came home from my night out and I took a knife to bed with me. And uh, I remember waking up in the morning and just looking, I just thought, okay, we're, we're going to the fucking doctor now. Sorry, <laughs> no, we're going to the doctor Jeez. and we're going to go and speak to someone about this. It didn't, luckily for me, I, it didn't kind of escalate onto anything more than that, than just taking it, just having a knife in my room. But um, that was it. Went to the doctor and went and spoke to someone and it was literally from like day one. So but bear in mind throughout this time, I'm working as a full-time rugby coach for, I was, I was at Northampton Saints at the time within a different department, full-time rugby coach and just having to block out all these feelings and try and cover up how I was. And, you know, and I just remember just, I was like, okay, we need to go and speak to someone. I remember going to speak to the doctor. I got signed off for a week and that was, and then kind of from there, I would like to think it's been relatively uphill. And let's be honest, it's a, it's a macho environment as well. Mm, yeah. Like sure. Most stuff is, but a rugby club and a rugby coach. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it really was because I was my, my department. So I worked in the community department. So we were working with like, you know, coaching club rugby and youngsters and that sort of thing. So I worked fully with men, uh, you know, up until I, the only time I'd ever really spoke about my emotions was when I was drunk. I'd never actually sat down with someone and chatted. So when I got, went to the, to the doctor, got my diagnosis and explained it all. And that was where the anxiety disorder bit come from. It was like, actually, you know, you, you do have, and I didn't know what it was up until this point. I did know, not know, have a clue what this thing was. Um, and it's like, a, it's a really difficult combo. It's like, like depression will kind of, is like thinking about that. They say depression is where you think too much about the past and anxiety disorder is where you think too much about the future. So I was just completely just non-present at all times. It was either I was worried about the future or I was thinking about my regrets in the past. And it was just like, it was so tough, you know, driving to work every day, you know, and just having to block out these emotions, being having to address, you know, 20 to 30 young people and just, you know, it, actually on the inside, my heart's just pumping and just feeling rubbish, really. Any moment I get to stop and think to myself, I'm just feeling generally quite rubbish. So it was just like blocking it all out, which just, just took its toll, clearly. Um, but literally from that day of getting the doctor being like, we're gonna get some, we're gonna get you sorted, like we're gonna get you some help. And anyway, I went home, spoke to my parents, um, which was tough, had a week off, and then I think I kind of then I think I had to sat sit down with my boss at the time and just said, listen, I want to talk to you about something. I'm going to go through it. And there's a reason why I've probably been storming out of work, crying with my hood down, just running away. And, you know, and it was just, this was, a, so my boss was a, as a guy. So a man to man conversation is always really tough because you, I don't know, you just kind of have to, it's a macho environment, but in, in life anyway, doesn't matter what environment you're in, you always feel like you have to be strong as a man 
<laughs> you don't want it. You want to block out all these emotions. And, and I remember just talking to him about it and I felt, I just felt so much better because then it was like, if I was having a rough day or if I stormed out the office and everyone would be like, Oh, what's wrong? What's wrong? He would be like, don't worry. He's okay. I've, we'll take care of it. Just having like someone that could check in on you. So every now and again, he'd be like, how's it going? Like, is everything all right? And he didn't understand much about it anyway, because we were the same age with the same kind of like educational background. He didn't understand it, but he said he was willing to learn. And, you know, luckily I had, I was at the time, this is where I found it, first got to know Jordan, my current boss. And he was always just so brilliant to talk to. He just had this, he just got this way of being such a good listener and that's all I needed was if I was having a bad day, someone to just come and listen to me. Told what all my is, friends. What's the life lesson there for just to wrap, just to go back to that. What's the life lesson with what you just shared about opening up to your boss and, and that kind of stuff? Um, the life lesson with that is, that's a hard, it's a hard one to think of, but it's, you know, yeah, the life lesson in, in that is it's just like, you'll think that you can be really strong by keeping things to yourself and you can think that, you know, that's the, the the true sign of my manly strength is to keep all my promise to myself and just deal with it. But actually opening up and being vulnerable is one of the most, the strongest things that we could ever do in a society that encourages us and demands us to be so tough going against the grain and being like, actually, do you know what? I feel shit. I don't feel like I can cope and I don't feel like I can, you know, deal with these demands of life. I'm not going to deal with it. That's, I think that's one of the strongest things you can do and actually just sit there in front of someone that, and just cry and just be completely and utterly vulnerable. It is a it's so strong. And if I, you know, I always used to think to myself, oh, I'm not strong. I'm not, but the things I have, I've spoken to in front of people and cried in front of people. How can I not be strong? Mm. You know, being open and vulnerable has been, one of the best ways I've managed to kind of take control of my illnesses. And I've denied myself that because of this subjective idea that because we don't speak about our problems, we're, we're not strong. You know, that is the most beautifully well put, um, you know, person of it. Well, let me get my words out now that I said that was the most beautifully well put um, description of why it's important for guys to open up. So mate, thank you so much for that. That was absolute gem golden knowledge thank you so much um so how did you how did you start to improve from that moment and get better and not and cope with uh, yeah so i mean the first kind of seven months of it i didn't really and this will be this will sound really interesting is i didn't take control of my own life and i didn't take control of my illness in the right way um i just once again fell back into the old mindset of if I get these situational things right, if I get myself a cool car, if I get this and I get a house, I will be fine. And it just didn't, it didn't stop. And I remember one day, I just remember sitting there to myself. And at this point, my, you know, it really escalated. My, my mood kind of escalated and it kind of got quite a lot worse. And I remember I'd always denied um, medication and I kept denying it, kept denying it. And I think I got really rough and I thought, you know what, let's just take it. Let's see how it goes. Um, and I remember I didn't take medication for particularly long, simply because I didn't feel like it was going to be the, the right thing for me going forward. Um, so I think whenever people say, when it comes to mental health stuff, whenever people say, don't take, don't take medication, you know, don't take medication. No, it's really bad, blah, 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 blah. You have to understand that something that you know, the things that are in these medications can save your life. You know, if it works for you, then great. Sometimes it doesn't work for everyone. For me, I had it for a month. It worked. And I remember writing on, there was a date on my, I used to have a whiteboard just above my desk and it said 17th of October. And I remember that was the day I was like, right, that is it now. I'm taking control of this illness and I'm going to boss this illness. And I'm going to, everything I do from this point onwards is going to be to the benefit of my mental health and getting myself better. I didn't want to see myself just being someone that in 20, 30 years was still just kind of depressed. I wanted to just get rid of it. And that's something that pe you know, people always say, oh, you know, it's depression is going to be something you have for the rest of your life. It's not. You can't say that because it's something that you can get rid of. There's a number of people that have proven that. I remember writing it up there. I was like, right, that's it. I'm taking control now. 
And then I kind of just then started learning. I started learning about myself, what made me depressed. And that was where my first piece of writing called My Seven Steps came from. And that was the different coping mechanisms that I would use to make myself feel better. Um, So dude, you got to share these seven steps, man. Okay, right. If you can summarize them in in a nice little way, that'd be great. One of my next videos is going to be about this. So I need to practice anyway. So number one, (laughs) acceptance um, is accepting that you have an issue and that you need to deal with it. Number two, I have to remember now. Number two is talking. (laughs) um, And actually you're sharing your issues. um, Yes. Sharing how you feel about things. Um, If I remember rightly, number three is exercise. Um, Exercise. Yeah. That's one of the best ones. It's just, Exercise like a quicker fix. Exercise will give you those endorphins. It'll lower your adrenaline levels. And that will give you that kind of boost in morale very short term. If you exercise once and expect it to last for a month, it won't work. I think number four was possibly diet, changing your diet. But that's a really tricky one because that's not as easy. So I might have to rethink the diet one. We, you know, it's, it's easy for us to just say, oh, yeah, just go and eat healthily because it doesn't work. Number five was... Um, negative entities and that was the most important one of all and the negative entities what I mean by that is anything within your life that brings you just, you know too much negativity needs to be removed from your life that's whether you drink too much you smoke too many ciggies you drink too much coffee and it negatively affects you I drink loads of coffee it's fine for me but you know negatively affects you you just need to get rid of it if your boyfriend's an asshole and you just have to get that out because it's going to bring you down. Um, and then the next one after that, there's one missing. and I just can't remember for the life of me what it is. That's awful. I'm trying to plug my own blog and I can't even. <laughs> um, <laughs> but of all of them, like I've say, mentioned in the blog, if you're going to um, miss out any, anything, negative entities is going to be the one. Because if you've got loads of things dragging you down, if you've got a job where you go into work every single day, just you just don't want to be there. You need to quit, but you have to look for something else. And I promise you, it doesn't matter if if that job pays you 50 grand, 60 grand a year, and you sacrifice that to go and work for a 20 grand a year job. That's really fulfilling that 30 grand. Honestly, you won't even miss it. You won't miss it one bit. I promise. I think you've just been very clever there and trying to plug your blog post. If you have to go and get the full seven steps, you exactly what you're doing. That's it. (laughs) it. You've got to wait for the, got to wait for the video. Um, And then I think the final step, if I could ever remember the, the other one, the final step is the positive entities. You go through and you replace those negatives with things that you could consider positive. And that could be, um, for me, creativity was great. So I started writing. I found that writing was a really good way of, you know, kind of enjoying myself. Some people do it through comedy. You know, a lot of people that, you know, comedians, um, you know, are known to have you know suffered from mental health difficulties and they you know writing different things that like if i think of something that makes me laugh i'll just write it down doesn't matter if i'm going to speak about it i'm not going to perform it you know it's just silly stuff and that it just makes it kind of helps me you know makes me smile a little bit awesome. you know running i took up run, running was one of the best things i ever did like it's so good for you but so just, many tips there by the way for for so many people so thank you so much for sharing like yeah, that's a lot. amazing Sorry. man um so just to just to round this off, you look at your seven steps, and obviously you're still making progress on it and helping other people. What's the what's the aim for you with where you're taking this and your your social media movement and the work you're doing with the Saints Foundation? My future isn't isn't clear still to me. I still don't really know where I'm going or I went where I want to be. Um, I've found it very difficult to think of where I want to go. But what I know I do need to focus on and I, my biggest improvement that I need to you know, do right now is I need to just become more present. And I think if that's, that's something I could pass on and it's, that's where my biggest learning curve has come from in the past year is actually learning to be just completely and utterly present in the moment. You know, I think we get different things that allow us to do so, like talking to you right now, I'm right here, I'm fully to yours and but when I kind of switch off, sometimes I'm always thinking about where I want to be next and where you want to go and what you're going to do. If you can learn to be fully focused on what the things that you're doing and you can fully learn to just, just concentrate and just be present and be at one with yourself. I think that's where the key to life really is. You know, I think there's a, 
it's quite a Buddhist sort of way of thinking about it. I'm not, I'm not Buddhist. Whether I decide to go Buddhist, I'm not sure yet. I'm considering it. Just I've considered that as well, actually, in the past. Um, I don't know. It, do I, it depends what I have to sacrifice, of course. <laughs> I've sacrificed a lot, man. I've, I don't drink <laughs> anymore. I don't eat meat. So there's not many much more things I can give up. Um, but the, that's in your life, you're going to have positive and negatives. It's never just going to be fully positive ever. It's never going to be fully negative ever. You're going to have these moments and they're going to, you know, they're just going to come and go throughout your life. And it's about kind of learning to be present with them and accepting of it and being non-judgmental of it and non-judgmental of yourself. I think when you can figure that out, that's the re- that's when you've cracked it. There's not, you know, I don't, there's no amount of money that I, that can, you know, and things that could ever fix this, no amount of followers that could fix this or amount of views on a video. I think, yeah, if I can honestly sit down and say, okay, yeah, I'm content. I can be present perfectly. Yeah. I'll be chuffed. Absolutely. Jordan, that was mate. One of the most open, real conversations I've had with anyone actually, not just on the podcast. So thank you so much for, for sharing. Yeah, you no. shared loads of advice. So I'm not going to delve back into what piece of advice you give to people. Like this has been like literally advice next life, left, right and center. So thank you for sharing. I do want you to share your YouTube channel and your Instagram account. So where can people who are like inspired by you? Cause I'm inspired right now. Where can they connect with you on Instagram and social? So um, yeah, I'm on primarily is Instagram and Facebook. So I'm under at Jordan Yates, MH Yates is spelled kind of funny. It's spelled Y E A T E S. It's not Yates. I promise it's <laughs> Yates. So Jordan Yates, MH on Instagram and then the same on um, YouTube as well. So YouTube's just started off. It's pretty thin on the ground with the the content there, but we're going to get there. I'm just focusing very much on work and stuff. I do have one quote I do want to finish off with, um, if I could, because I remember it at the start and just thinking, okay, if you can word it right, it's going to sound really cool. Is And if you take anything away from this, doesn't matter if you, if you fast forward through the entire podcast and you just focus on this last bit, life is not about what the world can bring you. It's about what you can bring to the world. That quote means to me that that's my kind of like grounding. And every now and again, if I'm having a moment to myself, where I'm thinking, oh, this really sucks. Like this isn't, this isn't fair. I just, why can't things just go well? You know, things going well aren't going to come from me just sitting around moping. Um, that's something that's really hard when you've got depression. I completely get that. Um, everybody handles depression in the same way, but I promise you, you won't get any better and it won't get any better. And this is a bit of tough love now, sadly, um, but you won't get any better just sitting around waiting for depression to get better. It won't. You have to really take it by the horns and try and combat it. That's not necessarily about, you know, being masculine and manly about it, but, you know, doing whatever you can to get through it. And, you know, that's what that, that kind of quote, quote means to me is not, you know, it's not about thinking what you deserve. Oh, I deserve to feel better. I deserve this job because, you know, if everybody had that mindset, we wouldn't really, everyone deserves everything, don't we? So yeah, that's what that kind of means to me. Awesome. Wake up, wake up in the morning, wake up, you know, and look out the window and think, what can I, what can I benefit this world today? What can I give that's going to make this world just a little bit better for, you know, it's kind of like a bit of a law of attraction thing. Awesome, man. Um, I think we could have literally chatted for the rest of the uh, the afternoon evening. Probably. And uh, I just want to say, mate, thank you so much for for your time, for being honest and open. It was uh, it was a fantastic episode. Really, if I could hug you right now, I'd hug yeah, you. I think a hug is really good. A <laughs> hug would be really good, but unfortunately we're on Zoom. So we'll hug one day. But uh, Jordan, have an amazing rest of your day, my friend. Thank you so much, Sam. Like I, I really appreciate you letting me come and have a chat. Thanks for listening to The Breakthrough Pod. We'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Student Breakthrough. Make sure to subscribe to catch our next episode. Live your best life and have an awesome day.